Welcome to All Power to the Developing, a podcast of the Eastside Institute, where social justice, human development, and community building come together. This is where you will meet activists, artists, teachers, scholars, helpers, and healers who are bringing creativity, hope, and possibility to individuals and communities all over the world. Welcome to All Power to the Developing, and today we have a real treat. We have two of the leadership personalities from Performance of a Lifetime, Savan Kasarjan, VP of Global Client Solutions, and Christian Felix, Associate Partner, both in New York City. And these wonderful trained actors, improvisers, and dare I say, mellifluous colleagues will delight you with their stories of what it means to bring performance, learning, and development into some of the most, uh, uh, the heights of, of, of corporate life and structure. So we're going to hear from them today. Hey, Savan. Hey, Christian. How are you? Hi. <laughs> Thanks so much for a wonderful introduction. I know. Now that you said mellifluous, you're in trouble. <laughs> wow, I got to bring my A game. <laughs> I know. <laughs> hey, we're so glad to hear from you today. And, you know, Performance of a Lifetime formed way back at the cusp of the 21st century uh, with Eastside Institute founder Fred Newman and Kathy Salet and Nancy Green and David Nackman, some of some of the personalities who were around in those early formative discovery days, um, had this brilliant notion of bringing performance into organizations and institutions and business. So tell us a little bit about that that early philosophy. What was the what, what was the thinking there? Well, in those early days, I think it really came uh, as a bit of a surprise to some of the founders that some of their clients on the acting side said, hey, could you come in and help my team? And they said, really? Really? You, you, you want to invite your team at work to improvise? Um, and Fred was the one who really encouraged Kathy and David to, to go for it. And discover what was possible there. And, you know, we're in some ways still doing the same thing, right, Christian? We're discovering what is possible, how how boldly we can invite people to perform in new ways. Absolutely. You know, I, I, I may be overstating this, but it seems that now with the kind of global uncertainty and the many crises that we're facing and the roller coaster of the stock market and the corporate climate looking very kind of scary to some, that this could be just the moment for performance of a lifetime. How hmm. do you see it? Do you see it that way? Well, I mean, I, I think that that uh, is spot on. I think that in some ways we didn't know what the pandemic and what the other disruptions of the last three years almost 
would, uh, how they would impact performance of lifetime, our business, our clients, et cetera. And while there were most certainly some curveballs, and there still are curveballs, think that there has been an appetite of increased this, this notion that people want to be seen and want to be heard. And how companies engage with their employees, how do they how they retain them in this moment where people are walking away and going to new opportunities, et cetera, I think has everything to do with who they partner with and the kind of learning experiences that they're able to create where people feel like they're being invested in, they're being recognized, and they're being invited to try new things and ask themselves what else is possible. So I do think that there's definitely a link to the moment and what Powell kind of how Powell approaches development. And and Christian and, and Savan, Powell goes specifically into leadership development, correct? Talk to us about that. Why why is leadership so key to the performatory model that you bring? Well, think about what you just invited us to consider about the last few years, right? Our society and our organizations are in so much flux. And why have we worked on leadership? Because we think it takes leadership in any social milieu to invite people to be more, to invite people to be more intentional, to invite people to do things before they know how. That is an activity of leadership, right? And then you layer that into the moment we're all in. And in order to find our way out or through what we are in, it's going to take people stepping out ahead, right? Performing ahead taller, doing things before we know how, being willing to take smart risks and invite others with them. That's leadership. And, and you're saying that corporations are responding to this offer saying, yes, we do want to invest in, in leadership. That's what you're seeing. I think they're saying they have to. Yeah, I was just about, they don't have <laughs> they don't have a choice. It's not a matter of if they're going to invest because if they don't invest, then that what they're going to encounter are issues with retention. There are other best in class organizations that are making those kind of investments and are putting forth some intention and some care. And I think one of the encouraging things I just want to note that yes, while we focus on leaders in these corporations and these large companies. Once we begin to establish a relationship with these leaders and highlight the importance of this notion of belonging and how belonging supports becoming and becoming supports belonging and, and generating that sense of belonging and how you do that with an organization, that, that kind of leadership can come from everywhere. And so it's about inviting leaders to see leadership in, in new ways. Uh, and expanding their definition of leadership, not only amongst themselves, but the people that they work with. And recognizing where there is groundswell, where there is opportunity, where there's interest, where there's hunger, uh, recognizing it and tap into it. Mm -hmm. You've said a couple of things that maybe our listeners are a little curious about. Um, oh, good. Doing, doing <laughs> more before they know how. Is that, a, is that a big seller at IBM and American Express? Well, if you think about the structure of corporations, uh, it's sort of about like a pyramid. You've got a lot of people doing a lot of the function, functional work. And 
they are expected to continue to take on more and more leadership, to keep growing and changing. And, you know, people used to talk about the Peter principle that we all get promoted up to our point of incompetence. (laughs) I don't know if you've ever heard that before. Well, that's really become business as usual, where everyone is always being asked to do more than they really know how to do. And instead of it being thought of as being promoted up to your point of incompetence, it's promoted up to your point of true development. Where are you working so that you're not just doing the same thing every day, but that the definition of work is stretching yourself? Now, I also want to give us at this moment, there has been some backlash to that, right? That our model for economic growth is not sustainable, that we're pushing people too hard. So our approach is not about pushing people to do more. It's about inviting them to discover what parts of themselves are they not yet giving wing to? Have they not yet discovered Is there more they could be bringing to their work that would increase the meaning for them, that would increase their connection with their colleagues? And we're big believers that, as Christian was saying, there is a um, there's mutual reinforcement between becoming and belonging. So let's just open that up for a minute. If you're working somewhere where you feel like people see your capacity to grow and change. They see your capacity to become, then you're going to feel a greater sense of belonging. People believe in you. They see you and they see that you can do things to surprise them even, right? They haven't just put you in a box and said, you're done. So as you create an environment for becoming and growing and doing things before we know how, stretching at work, that can also support belonging at work because people feel seen. And when people feel belonging at work is when they feel comfortable enough to do things before they know how. It's like, okay, these people have my back. I can bring more of myself here. And it's okay if I fail and learn and fail and learn and grow. And that's that sort of virtuous cycle, if you will, of becoming and belonging. And that's also the thing we're hearing people want. So, you know, when you ask, our company's asking for it, I don't know, Christian, would you agree with me that it's it's the people inside the companies that are asking for it? Yeah, including our own. Yeah. <laughs> including our own. We practice what we preach. And I think that, you know, our response to the events around us and everything from the resurgence of social justice movements to, again, the pandemic to this you know, severe sense of isolation um, and the kind of this common theme of, of, of alienation that we all kind of felt in the world, our response, performance of a lifetime's response was to, to practice what we preach and, and really kind of dig a little bit deeper in terms of what is the correlation between this sense of belonging, the sense of belong, uh, becoming, which Savan just so beautifully captured. And yes, so I, I think absolutely, uh, I'm seeing it all around. So you have effectively subverted the Peter principle. And I'm wondering, you know, you hear so much in the work world about feeling like an imposter, being asked to do things you don't know how to do. 
and you're walking into a performance of a lifetime training session and what kind of environment are you setting up to encourage people to do just that, what they don't know how to do? Well, I, what, we, what we recently, or what we commonly refer to as setting up the environment is creating the conditions. And what are the conditions that we can co-create? That's something else that we talk about a lot is that all of our approach to work is a co-creation with our clients. Uh, is a very collaborative um, approach to creating the conditions. So what I mean by that is inviting people, inviting the people, the group, which we'll again, we'll call the ensemble, the grouping of people that are together for this specific learning experience. What do you need to get what you want out of this experience? And once we begin to contract with each other, uh, we form some common language around the, those conditions. And, and, and so what are, the, what are part of the conditions? One is fun. <laughs> it is mm-hmm. play. And it is, it is unapologetically just playing for the sake of, of, of playing, inviting people to immerse themselves in a, a activity that doesn't have stakes, that may not necessarily lead to a very serious business outcome at the, at the beginning, just Try something new and, and and activate that sense that sense of play. That's one that's one condition. So Which honestly, is so often full of discovery, right? Play, you discover all kinds of things about each other, about yourself. Yeah. What other conditions, Savan, do you think would be part of our um, experiences? You know, an, another real common one is asking the participants. So, what does it take to grow and change? When have you changed before in your life? And we invite them to tell stories. Well, you know, I used to be like this and now I'm like this. And then we say, huh, well, wh- why'd you change? What, what impacted you? And, you know, we invite people to philosophize about the activity we are all about to embark on together, which is growth and development. So we invite our participants, as Christian was saying, to be co-creators of the environment for that, which means having a point of view on what does it take to do it? Why do we as human beings change when we do? What motivates us? What supports us? What sometimes blocks us? Um, and, and they bring a ton into the room, right? These people have had long and varied lives. And then we build with that. Given the ensemble, as Christian was saying, the grouping that we have, we say, well, so this is what we see we have in the room here. And sometimes what we have is a really brave group. Sometimes what we have is a really mixed group. Some people who describe themselves as making big leaps of change and some smaller. But whatever we have, we then say to them, so how do we support each other given what we're beginning to learn about each other? And it's the kind of question that makes everybody kind of look around the room in a new way. That like, oh, these are other people in this program with me. You're asking me to be responsible for how they grow and change. I thought this was about my growth. (laughs) And what we know is when we invite them all in to take responsibility for each other, they each discover so much about themselves as well. Okay. So let me, let me uh, poke a little more around this. You're coming into groups and in a way, is the invitation that you're giving to these internal groups to subvert 
the authority, the hierarchy of authority within that organization, within that business? Is your boss sitting next to you in, in that performance skit? Um, it, are, are people volunteering to be there? Are they saying, yes, we're down for all of us growing? How does I that mean, look? Yeah. So I love the fact that this is the second time you're asking us what we're subverting. I know. <laughs> and my answer is yes. Sometimes we have groups where direct lines of reporting. So your boss or your team are all in the room together. Sometimes we don't. Mm -hmm. We are actively subverting some of the agreed upon notions about how we grow and change. One, which I just mentioned, a very common one is that it's an individual activity. And we actually say, this is going to be social. We're going to invite you into each other's stuff. Invite you to support each other, give each other feedback to, as Christian put it earlier, to see and hear each other, right? Um, that is subverting something. Mm -hmm. And I think the most subversive thing we do truly is invite them to notice the play they're in, to, no to really see each other, to really ask the question, so what does it take to grow and change instead of just telling them what we think it's going to take for them to grow and change? That's a little subversive right there. Ask, inviting them to play. That's a little subversive. And sometimes people ask us about it. And they, you know, are we just going to keep playing around here? <laughs> <laughs> um, I have to say that's fairly unusual. And when we do, we turn it to the group and say, what do you think, group? Was that a waste of time? It's, it seems marvelous to give people who spend day in and day out of their lives working with each other a chance to discover, unearth, and give more of who they are to this common task that they're dedicating so much of their energy to, right? Absolutely. And I, the way I would have, have answered the question, just to build on what Savan said is, you know, I think that we're actually brought in to subvert aspects of the status quo, that mm -hmm. there is agreed upon consensus that this way of doing business or this approach or this habit or this theme across the organization isn't serving the organization that well. That's part of the status quo. How can we change that? Well, I believe and I know that we go in and get under the hood and we we can subvert aspects of the status quo in order to build a stronger one. And I think one of the ways in which we do that is, you know, people talk a lot about authenticity. How do you bring your authentic self to work? And to your point, Janet, I think performance of a lifetime offers a pretty radical way for people to be more of who they are at work. Uh, and we do that through a lot of different ways. We do that through performance. We do that through really doing some deep dives around the power of storytelling, the types of stories that you can tell, the impacts that has when you bring your stories to work. And I think all of those are examples of ways that we are subverting various st status quos in the, in the service of building a stronger one. And by the way, one of the things we do is we invite people to be really inauthentic. <laughs> right true. we we actively invite people to perform as each other as the queen of england 
as their niece or nephew. (laughs) We invite people to try on who they are not. And it's by performing, by expanding our repertoire, that it becomes who we are not yet. And that can feel subversive to people because, you know, everybody tells us that if you're performing something you're not, you're not being authentic. Well, the truth is you're always who you are. You never stop being who you are. (laughs) There's just lots of different versions of you, right? And sometimes it's dictated by the context. Sometimes you're being reactive to another human being. But we have so many performances available to us all the time. And so that's one of the biggest subversive moves we're making was we're saying, try on some other ones. Some will feel comfortable, some won't. And by performing them, you'll discover where you want to stretch. You know, I think this is so exciting, becoming more of who you are by performing all the different roles that you are not. And um, I think what we should do is take a very short break and come back and have you tell us a little bit about what some of those performances look like. Great. Be right back. Hi, I'm Melissa Meyer, Associate Director of the Eastside Institute. Welcome to All Power to the Developing. I hope you're enjoying today's conversation. In each episode, we introduce you to some amazing performance activists, play revolutionaries, and developmentalists from around the world who talk to us about their creative grassroots efforts to build a better world. If you like what you hear, please follow and share the series. You can find us on Amazon, Spotify, and Podbean. We'd love to hear your comments and ideas. Like everything at the Institute, the growth of all power to the developing depends upon the people who create it and benefit from it. We hope you're one of them. Thanks for your support. And now back to our conversation. So we are back talking to Saban Kasarjan and Christian Felix of Performance of a Lifetime and their wonderful work in bringing performance, theatrics, play, make-believe, pretend into corporate America and big organizations and institutions and foundations and sports teams, and they, they go everywhere. And we're talking a little bit about helping people perform their way into being more of who they are. And, you know, Christian, when we, when we were uh, preparing for this, uh, for, for, for today's conversation, you were telling a little bit about some work you did with, uh, you know, the, the, not to, not to make this a cliche, but, you know, uh, tech workers, coders, programmers, et cetera, are not known exactly for their, you know, um, extroversion as communicators. And, mm. and I think you've done a little bit of work with some teams helping them to be more out front ambassadors of, of their company. How did that look? Well, it, it depended on who was presenting and who was the ambassador. It looked very <laughs> different <laughs> depending on the individual. 
But one thing that we work with when we were with that group of technologists and really trying to expand their capability to speak about their brand as ambassadors, become better leaders by doing so both internally and externally, something that we, 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 that we explore and investigate and interrogate is the idea of status and status, high status and low status. And we ask people what, how, what goes into performing as somebody who's high status? What, what are the signs and the symbols that you see and the behavior? Again, about low status, okay. Uh, where are you more comfortable on that spectrum? And we play very different kinds of exercises and games for them to experience viscerally what it's like to be low status, what it's like to be high status and where they feel like they're at naturally. And the way that, that something like that activity would translate into uh, more of a work-related activity or a work presentation is I invited one of these speakers to start. And it's always about going outside of the room and coming in. We give them a big round of applause. And uh, this particular uh, woman uh, was of South Asian descent, had a phenomenal story of, of going from India to this country of learning new language, learning new technologies, starting her own company, all these amazing, amazing stories. And she walked into the room like a mouse, the smallest, tiniest creature on earth. And all of that leadership and all of that amazingness just to me, just completely disappeared in the blink of an eye. And through the course of a couple, so we do a lot of, okay, let's pause and take twos. Okay, do it again and do it again and do it a fourth time. I know it's silly, but just do it. <laughs> and we kept on working on that entrance, kept on working on that entrance in with directions related to higher status. Imagine if you were Oprah Winfrey, imagine if Savant said you were the queen of England, imagine if you were president of the United States, now give me that royal wave. And over time and through those iterations, amazing what kind of transformation that you see amazing what kind of transformation you see. And for me, I, I, I'm, I'm very honored uh, to be able to do this kind of work uh, in places that we do these, these works because that kind of transformation that, that, that went through that leader and bringing out more of that leadership, performing more of that leader, the impact that that had on that person, just you, you just feel it. And it's very fulfilling uh, to be able to kind of invite others to explore performance that way. So Christian, What's the role of the ensemble, the team of which you are a part as the coach and consultant? How do you see that in her going from a little mouse to this big performance? That's a great question. And we typically uh, approach our debrief and engagement with the ensemble in moments like that uh, pretty uniformly, which is, uh, what did you like? What are you seeing? What are, what are some of the strengths you're seeing? What do you want more of? What do you want more of? And what we always ask, what else is possible? And it's through that peer-to-peer real-time feedback that we're holding up a mirror. <laughs> we're holding up a mirror saying, this is who you are. This is who we want to see more of. And this is who we think is possible. And through all of that, um, there is a really nice zone of, of development, <laughs> that container, if you will, to uh, encourage growth. 
Wow, sounds both fun and exhilarating and probably scary. So yeah. God, this 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 collective imagining that's going on, this collective, you know, kind of support and buoying up these performances and the and the transformatory effect that it has. Talk about that in terms of how you see this growth in people you're working with. It's so important. It's so important that moment when someone has stepped out into doing something might not be comfortable. It feels crazy to them to do it that way. And to have a room full of your peers break into applause and jump to their feet. And you see people's face and they're like, really, really? And everybody's like, yeah, yeah, that was you. That was it. You did it. And it's because it's so easy to crawl right back into our shell. You know, but it's the it's when the room erupts like that, it's undeniable. You know, Savan, even even when you said the word crawl, I was thinking of a baby standing on his feet for the first time and taking a step and the kind of huge support that they get from the entire world for taking those steps. And and it feels like you're talking about a similar developmental process, right? No, I love that you said that, Janet. You know, I would actually like to point out a thing that happens even before the baby takes an actual step, right? The baby stands up holding onto that coffee table and they one foot goes out and they fall on their tush. And what do we say? We don't say, ah, you just fell on your tush. We say, you're walking. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And so when Christian describes inviting the group to 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 give what they want to see more of, what they think is possible, the group is saying, you're walking way before the person's walking. But that's part of what creates the conditions for them to take those steps. You know what I love about what you're both saying is that I don't hear the negativity of a model where you're trying to suppress antisocial or negative or quote behaviors. You're (laughs) instead trying to give people that kind of airlift to boost them to do something positive and creative that supports the team. The team is saying, we want more of this, right? Exactly. 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 And it's celebrating, even when it's not, quote unquote, successful. We're celebrating the activity of performing. And we're celebrating the activity of trying on performances, right? We might invite somebody, okay, do it as Elvis. And their Elvis impersonation has no relationship to any Elvis anyone else in the room has ever met before. But in the doing of it, they discover they can try on funny voices, they can do silly things. And when that is celebrated, it then creates a virtuous cycle of more becoming, more belonging. Yeah, we're all doing this together. And we can all do more than we think we can. Yeah. Yeah, we literally have activity. And that takes a bit of conditioning, if you will, like, and some practice, because we all are deeply habituated to think about 
failure, think about mistakes in, in pretty specific and severe ways, uh, particularly in some of these higher stakes uh, organizations and environments uh, in, in, in these companies and corporations. And, you know, we'll do exercises what invites people to literally celebrate mistakes, celebrate when they, to someone's point, fall down, do a bad impression. And coming off the heels of, of a, a, a live experience and in-person um, delivery, you really see how that contributes to a supportive learning environment. When people absolve themselves from feeling anything around mistakes and just be like, all right, yep, going to go do Yep. Yay. All right. Woo. Uh, it really does shift some mindsets and, and does hasten the learning experience. You know, it, I think for the very first time in hearing this discussion of celebrating the group, celebrating the fall down, the mistake, the error, it allows those everyday routine failures to be part of the mix, not to be hidden, not to be repressed. It actually, it seems very good for business that that's part of what we're dealing with, correcting, supporting the growth of that person to do something different maybe the next time. It's not, it's not hidden. It's not repressed. You it's, can't it, have innovation without it. You can't yeah, have say more. Yeah. Well, people often say, wait, are you telling me to celebrate the fact that so-and-so made a mistake? Are you asking me to make mistakes? And I invite them. What do you think? Am, am I telling you to make mistakes? No, what I'm celebrating is the activity of trying something new, of trying at all, of acting, of making choices. Mistakes are going to happen. <laughs> There's nothing I'm going to say that's going to make mistakes happen more or less. What we want to celebrate is the activity, the choice to try things and to not then get bogged down in it if it wasn't perfect. Keep moving. Go on to the next choice so that you can get to success. You can discover and innovate. Surprise yourself. Surprise each other. I mean, I think it's important to say, Janet, that when we are talking, when we are inviting people to try on new performances, you know, we were just giving some nice fun examples, the Queen of England, Elvis Presley, you know, we work with multinationals. So we're working with participants all over the world. And so the performances that we're inviting people to do can be just as outlandish, but, you know, celebrities, they know. And some of the performances we're inviting people to do might at the outset feel like a very, very small change, but it has a big difference. And I want, I want to give you a concrete example. One of our exercises, we invite people to have what might be called a radically slow conversation where we invite them to have a conversation, but wait 10 seconds between each response. Now, 10 seconds is a long time. And a lot happens in that 10 seconds. If you have a conversation where you get one sentence 
and then you wait 10 seconds and then another sentence and 10 seconds. The performance we're inviting people to do is that time. And at first they think of it, no matter what we say, they think of it as waiting 10 seconds. But of course, you're very busy. You're rehearing what you just said or what the other person just said. You're hearing what you might say next or what they might say next, right? You're changing your mind 12, 13, 14, 15 times about what you're going to say next in that 10 seconds, right? Our minds go quickly. And, you know, a participant we were working with said it best once. We, we did this exercise and they went back and forth maybe five times, five sentences, 10 seconds between each one. And when we paused the exercise, he looked out at the rest of the room. He said, why, well, I forgot you were all here. That was the most efficient conversation I've ever had. And of course, I, I was so curious to hear what happened. And he said, you know, I've been struggling with the situation for months now, for months. <laughs> but it was in allowing time for himself to hear what he was saying, to take in what the other person was saying to him. That small change in his performance, if you will, his performance of a conversation changed everything. Hmm. That's a, a beautiful example, Savan. You know, Savan and Felix Christian. Yeah, I know. I have <laughs> first names. It's not your fault. Blame my mother. <laughs> <laughs> I made a I made a really bad mistake. I, listen, <laughs> we love them. So. As we wrap up, I just want to ask you as leaders of performance of a lifetime, how do you see your organization's development over the next period of time? What are you self-consciously creating the conditions and space for you all to grow? How do you see that? What a great question. Totally great question. I can go first. Uh, I have been with the organization for almost five years in this leadership role, almost for eight months or so. Um, and coming in at a time when I spoke earlier about the importance that belonging has taken on uh, what is already, it's already been there. I think that the forms of lifetime is just recognizing an opportunity to have more intentionality around it and to do more thinking around it. And that then extends to a lot of different parts of our own business, our own practice, our own approach in terms of building a global talent, reflecting the world as it is, inviting our clients to think more intentionally about belonging. And when I'm, and then the other related um, topics having to do with diversity, equity, and inclusion. And what we found is that learning and development oftentimes sits far away from diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives within organizations. And performance of lifetime is being more intentional and trying to kind of be the bridge between those different areas. Uh, and, I, and I'm excited to continue to support those efforts. Yeah, absolutely. And more people doing that. You know, we um, are working really hard now 
on on scaling our efforts, mm-hmm. inviting more people to leverage the performance method for development. Um, because you know, it's like the name of your podcast. It gives you power. Mm-hmm. Performance gives people power. It gives people possibility. And so we are actively asking ourselves a lot of questions about where else could we be supporting people to leverage the performance method. Um, and we're inviting our, our clients to ask that question too. Um, where can they be multipliers of development inside their organizations? And, and how do we support our, we call them our cast of amazing coaches and facilitators around the world to be able to deliver more of this transformational work. So, so aspirational. And I'm thinking diversity, performance, power, and inclusion. <laughs> and uh, right. I, I love, I love Christian that you talk about bringing this together. Of course, the more diverse and inclusionary these ensembles, the more powerful and growthful I would think that they would be. And you're helping to build those bridges. Such important work. You know, I hope that that off of this conversation today, people will go to your website at performanceofalifetime.com and take a look at some of the videos and the articles and the interviews and and, and find out more about this approach and write to us and, and tell us you like it. And, you know, we, we look forward to, to great things from this, from this enterprise. And thank you so much, Saban and Christian, for, for being here today. Absolutely, Janet. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you, Janet. And thank you for doing this podcast. All power to the developing. Woohoo! <laughs> thank you. 